Hello. We want to thank you for joining our Living Messiah family by downloading this podcast. We hope it blesses you and enriches your life. We also want to encourage you, uh, if you can, and if your heart is so moved, to support this ministry by going on our website, livingmessiah.com, and donating to help us to put these podcasts in every nation, every place, so we can bring these messages to change lives, to help people grow in the Word of God. Once again, thank you so much for being part of our family. Shalom. Well, welcome to our in-depth Torah study. This is what uh, Ralphie usually does, but Ralphie and his wife are enjoying a well-deserved vacation in the tropical islands of the Hawaiian Islands. And so we, we got a picture from the airplane of a coastline with the waves lapping up on the shore. It looked pretty darn nice. Uh, you know, so I'm assuming that he's having a great time. So I'm in his, I'm taking his slot. I doubt that I can do uh, it justice. I certainly couldn't get my hair to grow long enough. But um, one of the things I wanted to point out, though, uh, just by way of talking about Ralphie, he, uh, there's two things about this. First of all, he clearly puts an amazing amount of work into this, this that he does. He studies it really, really diligently. And he has discovered what all of us that, that do this have discovered. And that is that when you prepare to teach this to someone, you learn a lot more than anybody that's sitting out there. And so he has really benefited from doing this. And I'm sure he'll tell you this. And it has been uh, fun to watch him uh, get excited about this. And I, so I've enjoyed that. I just wanted to say I, I, I'm, I'm excited too, but uh, Ralphie has been real special doing this. So anyway, what we've been doing is he's, we've been, as a group, going through the book of Matthew. And we've been just kind of going a little at a time, talking about passages as we go on. Yes, John? Ah, thank you very much. I apologize and see, that's, I forgot. Let me go to the Lord in prayer, please. Okay. Father God, thank you. Thank you for Shabbat. Thank you for this day. Thank you for, uh, for Ralphie and uh, Perry Beth and what they do. And just give them a nice, pleasant day today. Um, and I'd ask that you just uh, watch over us, watch over our conversation, be involved with us today as we look at the, look at the passage of the Brit Hadashah that has been laid out for us. I just thank you. In Yeshua's name, amen. Okay, now that we go back where we were, um, we've been going through the book of Matthew, and we're all the way up to chapter 22. Um, and this, in terms of what's been going on, I thought I always like to do a quick review. Yehoshua has traveled to Jerusalem for Pesach. That's what happened a couple of weeks ago. We, we talked about the, his what they call the triumphant entry into uh, Jerusalem, riding on the back of a donkey with all the crowds yelling Hosanna and all that. Um, and so he's made a triumphal entry as a king, and of course it's coming up to his crucifixion because this is Passover week. And uh, what he's going on right now is he's in the temple area, and most of what we've seen over the past several chapters is dialogue. It's him teaching um, he's teaching to his disciples and others that are interested. He's at this point in, in the whole scenario, he's drawing quite a crowd. But he's also being um, examined by the religious 
authorities, the Pharisees, uh, trying to find fault with what he's saying or, or his teachings. And um, his teaching is primarily parables. And for the last two or three weeks, I think, we've been going through the parables, some of the parables that he's already said. And there's more of these in chapter 22. So one of the things I wanted to do was talk about parables. So that's why it's in red. Yep. What is? Pesach. Is that the word, that word right there? Pesach is the Hebrew word for Passover. Sure, no problem. And don't ever be afraid of asking questions like that because sometimes we throw that stuff around like everybody ought to know, but they don't. That's no problem. So I want to talk about what a parable is. It's a simple story, typically, used to illustrate a moral or a spiritual lesson. Uh, um, a synonym of parable is allegory. An allegory is a story. And it's basically what they call an analogy. I remember whenever I used to have to take tests in school, analogy questions were all, I just hated analogy questions. There are things like, uh, oh, let's see. Sacramento is to California as blank is to Nevada. And the answer is Carson City, right? Because you're, you know, so that's what an analogy is. It's you got these things over here that look like this. Now, over here, how do you make them look like that? So uh, a parable is an analogy. Um, but it's a story. And one of the things you find out, of course, is that the Bible has many, many parables in it. One of the, the you know, Yeshua made extensive use of parables, as we're finding out in this section of Matthew. But parables all, are all over the place. Um, one of the ones I kind of thought might be fun to look at is I'm going to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 12. You don't have to do that if you don't want to. 2 Samuel chapter 12 is a, a story of David. We're in the middle of David's life. And David had a, uh, <clears throat> a prophet that kind of attended him. I don't know what all that scratching is. I hope it's not me. But anyway, um, there was a, a prophet of God that kind of attended David. And I'm, in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 12, I'm just going to read for a few verses and uh, I'll find out. I'll show you what a good example of a parable is. So it says, Yahweh sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, quote, there were two men in a certain town one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb that he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle, to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man that did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. And then Nathan said to David, You are that man. This is what Yahweh, the Lord of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. 
I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what was evil in his eyes? So that's a great example of a parable because Nathan came and told him a story. Oh, there once was these two men. And he goes through and tells the story. And typically a parable has a kind of a surprise ending, some kind of an ending that really knocks you back. And it knocked David back, right? That boy, that guy ought to be drawn and quartered. That was terrible. You know, there's nothing too good for that guy. And David, or Nathan, looks right at him and says, you're that guy. So I like that parable because it's a good example of what parables are for. They teach. And a lot of times they teach you without even knowing you're being taught. So anyway, I wanted to point that one out. But let's go on to what we're doing here. So why do you use parables? Um, stories engage your mind and your emotions, and they encourage you to think. So whenever you're reading a parable or hearing a parable, you're forced to, to really put some effort into it. It's not just very passive. You have to kind of be involved. Um, it's also to communicate to those with ears to hear, in quotes, right? Um, others often find them meaningless. I've, I've been in that boat. I've found a lot of parables meaningless. But uh, earlier in Matthew, in chapter 13, if you look at chapter 13, verses 10 through 13, his disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? And he replied, this is Yeshua replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And this is why I speak to them in parables. And he says, though seeing, they do not see, and though hearing, they do not hear or understand. And that is a direct quote out of Isaiah, which is something Ralphie would like to point out, that you know, almost everything Yeshua said came from the uh, Tanakh. And there's a typical example. Anyway, so one of the reasons for using parables is because God is talking to his people. And his people will hear it and understand it. Those who aren't his people won't understand it. I thought that was kind of interesting. So, um, how do we understand parables? It's, it's kind of, I hope you don't think this is kind of boring, but I've, I've gotten a, I've, I've enjoyed kind of thinking about this, and I wanted to pass on some of the fun things. Um, first thing you need to do about understanding parables is you have to um, keep the context in mind. You know, who is, who is the speaker? Who is the audience? Where are they? What's going on right then? You know, what's, uh, what's, what's all around it? Because a parable typically hardly stands alone. It needs to be involved in some sort of a context. And so, for example, in the ones that we've been looking at, um, well, well, we'll talk about that in a minute. Let me go on. Next, next you need to identify the, uh, the players in the story. Typically in some of these stories, uh, Joe. Did you have a question, Joe? Okay, wait a minute. Yeah, one could talk all the way about different parables, but there's three imperative conditions to listen to a parable. One, we listen with our ears, we listen with our minds, we listen with our hearts, 
and we listen to our uh, other things too. So you can have all the parable in the world, but unless you are listening to them in your heart, you're going to miss the whole point. Okay, I'll, I'll give you that. There's. Um, to add to Joe's point, I remember in Jeremiah, I think it's 41 and 42. I mean, it's not a parable, but there's an instance where some, some men, they come to Jeremiah and they ask him, it's like, well, should we go to Egypt or should we not? And Jeremiah prays to God for them. And, and then Jeremiah comes back and, and because God told him, it's like, these people have no intention of listening to me. It's like, so Jeremiah brought that to their attention, saying, you had no intention of listening to God. You, wanted to, you already had it set in your heart that you wanted to do what you wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And I think when it comes to parables, it can be the same thing. And I'm thinking, maybe, and I could be wrong, but it seems like that's exactly why Yeshua speaks to them in parables, because he knows that their hearts are hard, and they don't want to listen to him to begin with. Mm -hmm. I think that's very good. That's true. That's true. Another thing that you kind of touched on there is that a parable is just a story. And one of the things that uh, I've reflected on in the past, you know, I'm a real Torah fan. And the Torah, the word Torah has been translated into Greek and then English as the word law. So anytime you see the word law in the New Testament, it's usually Torah. And then I thought, well, you know, if you've read the Torah, it's, it's certainly less than half, maybe less than one quarter law you know, thou shalt and thou shalt not. There's very few thou shalt and thou shalt not. The vast majority of the Torah is stories, right? So evidently the stories are what he wants us to learn from. It's not just the do this, do this, do this, and don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. It's listen to these stories. So your point's right, yeah. These, the stories themselves are all parts of teaching. Anyway, what I was going on about whenever you're looking at a, at a parable, you need to identify the players in the story, and some of them are easy. Like usually it starts off, there once was a king, or there was a, a rich man, or there was, you know, some, some um, owner, a master, and typically that's God. But there are other, other characters, other people involved in the parable uh, that you need to uh, kind of pay attention to and figure out, so what's their role, you know? Um, take notice of the stark contrast or surprises. Parables usually have some stark contrast or surprise, like the one we read about Nathan, where uh, uh, Nathan's telling David that this guy that had all the cattle and all the sheep went over and took this one poor old guy's only lamb. Uh, and, you know, it, it upset, that, that, that would upset anybody. And a lot of parables do that. They have something in there that, that just strikes you as, well, that's just horrible, right? So pay attention to that, because that's usually the main point of the teaching. Um, they usually have one main point. There are uh, lots of other things you can learn from a parable, but you need to be a little bit careful because sometimes if you work hard to make a parable say something that you think it ought to be saying when it's not, you're making a mistake. And we've all had that. I mean, I've, I've sat and listened to people like me up there tell me what some parable means and me think, well, that's kind of a stretch. So when you think that's kind of a stretch, Feel free to think that because you might be right. Joe. John can't get anything done. <laughs> I think it's interesting where uh, Nathaniel uh, 
confronted David for this sin. Mm -hmm. Thanos didn't jump on him and say, uh, you idiot, look what you've done. Yeah. You know, you deserve to be punished. Yeah. That. yeah. But he did it in a uh, loving way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And the Bible tells us to speak the truth in love. Yeah. Well, he let, he let David figure out for himself. That's right. Yeah. And that's the thing. And, but he gave enough information to David yeah. that David finally, hey, you know, he's right. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I well, that was, it. as a matter of fact, I often point that out. That was David's only saving grace. Because most people in that position would have gone, but, 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 or you don't realize, or someone, you know, tried to make excuses. Not David. Boy, he immediately says, man, I... Uh, I fell, I fell very badly. I sinned. Let me move on. So I wanted to review just for a minute last week's parable, the one that we did at the end of, that Ralphie did at the end of last week. It was the uh, parable of the tenants. So I'm just going to reread that. And we could, I know we did it, but I just want to talk about it and identify the character to show you kind of how this works in my mind. And you can complain about it. Um, starting in Matthew 21, verse 33 says, this is Yeshua talking. He, Yeshua is um, in the temple area talking to his disciples and others that are listening and interacting with Pharisees and other religious authorities in, in the area um, who are there kind of cross-examining him. So he's, he says, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. All this is pretty obvious. The tenants seized the servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. And then he sent out other servants to them, more than the first time. And the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? Well, so you've already got the shock factor here, right? There's a big shock factor. He says, the, the crowd says, or somebody in the crowd says, uh, they will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at the harvest time. And so Jesus, Yeshua said to them, have you never heard, never read in the scriptures, the stone the builders rejected has become a cornerstone. And Yahweh has done this and is, it is marvelous in our eyes. And that's the quote from Psalm 118. The, Yeshua goes on, therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. And then verse 44, anyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. That, the reason that's in braces is because uh, that's not in all, all manuscripts. So, but it doesn't matter. The, the verse 45 is the one that I really wanted to read, which is when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. And they looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. Did I not flip that? Sorry, I apologize. Somebody's always got to help me. Joe. Wait. You mentioned the cornerstone. I might be wrong, but I think any building 
there's a cornerstone, and everything else is lined up to that cornerstone. Yep. So I think that's why uh, God uses the word cornerstone because everything, everything stems being everything. Yeshua is the cornerstone. That's the foundation. Everything is. Uh, yeah. I hope that's not me uh, making. Align after Him. Yep. You're exactly right. Okay, so let's analyze this parable um, based on the, the rules that I had just laid out. So what's the context? The context is that Yeshua is teaching at the temple, responding to questions from Pharisees and religious leaders. And the, who are the players in this parable? Well, there's the landowner, which in this case is God. There's the vineyard. The vineyard could be considered earth. It could also be considered all the people on earth. It could be considered the population. Um, who are the tenant farmers? Well, more than likely, those are the religious leaders. Those are the ones who he has put in charge and said, tend my vineyard and produce crops for me. You know, uh, make it grow. Um, the servants sent to collect the rent are probably the prophets, right? Because one of the things that uh, is often talked about is how um, God sent prophets to uh, both, both northern kingdom and the southern kingdom trying to basically tell them to clean up their act. You know, judgment was going to come if they didn't repent. Um, so the prophet, and, and what happened to the prophets? Well, they got stoned, they got killed, they got beaten. Prophets were never received in a, uh, a very pleasant or uh, appreciative manner. And it's not too hard to figure out who the owner's heir and son was, or is. John. Um, one way I look at parables is they're kind of like encrypted. Mm -hmm. And the encryption is, the, presumpt the, the, the key to encrypt it is you have a basic understanding of Scripture, mm -hmm. Torah, mm -hmm. and the stories that go with it. Because yeah. if you don't know that, you don't know how to place all these Put all these places in back together. That's a very good point. If you don't, if you have absolutely no understanding of what the Bible's all about and some of the stories in there, then you don't have any clue to do this. That's true. Because he asked people, uh, they asked him, "Why do you speak in parables?" Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. That was my answer anyway. Yep. Yep. That's good. So let's look at um, some of the contrasts and surprise. Did you have something, Paul? I'll back up. Did you sit over there? That would be the exact opposite. Yeah, uh, one of the things that I looked at, and I, and I could be wrong, but I'm just going to throw it out there, is looking at the vineyard as being the Torah. Since the religious leaders were the keepers, and they're supposed mm -hmm. to be able to pass that down through, not mm -hmm. only for Israel, but for anyone else mm -hmm. outside of Israel. Mm -hmm. But yet they were not taking care of it. They were putting their own traditions ahead of the Torah. Mm -hmm. So... Um, well, that, 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 that kind of works. I might, yeah. Uh, yeah. It, you know, um, you know, slash, I, I could say Torah slash earth. Yeah, there, yeah, there's a lot of things. It's, yeah. it's certainly they were put in charge. God put them, or the landowner, put them in charge of his vineyard to take care of it right. and to produce growth. Fruit. Produce and fruit. so when we look at the Torah, it's supposed to produce fruit. Yeah. And so since it, it says that the landowner planted a vineyard, yeah. then yeah. that's yeah. how I derive that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, let me go on and look at a couple of other things. 
First, what are some of the contrasts and surprises that are in this parable? Um, first of all, the biggest one to me is that the tenant farmers beat and killed those servants that were sent by the landowner. You know, that, I mean, the servants weren't doing anything. They were basically saying, the way the idea is here, the landowner owns it, and what he does is he lets the tenant farmers farm it for a percentage of the growth, a percentage of the, the produce. So, and sometimes it's 10%, sometimes it's 50%, but the point is, is the landowner sent his servants and said, uh, get my percentage of the growth and bring it back to me. And that's what I am due for letting them, you know, uh, run, the, run the vineyard, grow the vineyard. And so rather than pay what they owed, they basically killed the servants, right? And so, of, of course, it's not too hard to figure out that uh, he says, well, I'll send my only son. Surely they will respect him. And like I say, the one that shocked me the most is they said, oh, man, let's kill him, and then the vineyard will be ours. So they've gone, they've gone from not paying the rent to wanting to own the land. So that's, that's pretty shocking. Um, the main point, of course, and this is reinforced by the, the ending of the parable, is that the tenant farmers who were so evil deserved to meet, in the, in the words of the Scripture there, a wretched end and the vineyard given to other tenants who will pay the rent. And that's um, confirmed by the, the words at the end of the parable. Um, where it says, well, <laughs> the in verse 45, it says, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parable, they knew he was talking about them. So they knew that they were, the, they were these uh, tenant farmers. So anyway, any questions about that parable? Yeah, Wanda's got one. Oh. <laughs> We're going to have to get some kind of a roving microphone, something or other. Little helicopter. Oh, helicopter. Drone. I'll use a drone. Yeah. So if the tenants are the religious leaders, who would be the other tenants? The new tenants. The new tenants. Who yeah. would they be? Don't know. That, uh, like I say, you can, we can come up with some ideas. But one of the things I think this might kind of show is that, uh, and this was as some of the research I did, you can always push a parable too far. You can find a place where it kind of breaks. But um, the obvious example here are the people that are, are going to uh, take the, uh, well, they're going to they're gonna do what it takes to have real growth. And they're going to, to pay to the landowner what is due him. And I could argue that what is due him is obedience. So but those would be the obedient tenants. Yeah. That's my opinion. But, you know, we got to... This is fun. I think I have a theory of who the new tenants might be. And of course, this isn't in scripture for sure, so I could be wrong. But my idea is that these new tenants, because Yeshua came to save the lost house of Israel. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking the new tenants are the lost house of Israel. I have no problem with that. That certainly fits in my book, too. Who, who do the Torah. Who do the Torah. Right. Yeah. Also, I think the new tenants are the ones that when Yeshua bid all the people come to the feast. Mm -hmm. Well, we're getting to that tenant. That's the very next parable. And uh, they, uh, 
some will come, That's, and then a lot of them will not come. Yep. So it's, the ones who are coming, they're the ones are the remnant what, of Jehovah. I should just have you come up here and finish because that's what we're going to talk about, the very next one. I, I really like the way the parable allows the listener to draw a conclusion. Uh -huh. And I, you, you mentioned that because he asked the question, what will he do? Yeah. So they answer yeah. correctly, but not realizing that it applies to They're condemning to them. themselves, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that, you're right. That's kind of a key point in a parable is you get to... You get to condemn yourself. How fun. Yes, go ahead. I think the new tenants, if they were super important besides what we're saying, it would have been made clear. I think it was left that way, so we would have all these other encryptions of, ooh, mm -hmm. what, what could this mm -hmm. be? Yeah, yeah. That's it, fair. That's go. fair. You know? you know, yep, yep. All of these stories are meant to somewhere... You know, to the way I looked at it is it kind of is like putting layers of plaster on a foundation. You know, it just makes it stronger, putting more rocks on it. And so, yeah, you, you, uh, you try an idea out. If it seems to be consistent with other things that we've learned, you say, well, I guess that fits. That must be it. Yeah. John. So one rule I kind of have on that is when you're, when you're midrash, you're, you're reading into the story. Mm-hmm changes the actual story that you're operating off of, you've gone too far. That's right. That's exactly right. And as a matter of fact, you'll find many, many places where they've analyzed parables and done exactly that. Yeah. Well, let's go on. So this was all by way of review. <laughs> and we've done just pretty much the whole time, but that's okay. We gotta, if I don't do something, Ralphie will say, what, a, what are you doing? Taking a vacation? So this week's parable, this week's study... Um, Matthew 22, uh, verses 1 through 14. In uh, Matthew 22, 1 through 14, it's, it's uh, labeled in my Bible. It's not in the Scripture, but it's labeled the parable of the wedding banquet. So let's, let's read that. Yeshua spoke to them again in parables. By the way, this is just moving right down, I mean, the very next sentence from the last parable. So he's still in the same exact environment, talking to the same group of people about the same kind of things. So he says, uh, Yeshua spoke to them again in parables saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. And then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet, anyone you find. So the servants went out to the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. 
But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. And he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. We've talked about that the past few weeks. Um, a lot of times the parables, Yeshua's parables, are repeated in other gospels. And this one is no exception. The, this parable, the, the, the two gospels that have the most parables in them are Matthew and Luke. Okay, So this parable is repeated in Luke, but it's a little bit different. So I thought, let's go read Luke's, analysis, or Luke's version of this parable and see if we can notice any differences. So it's in Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 16, uh, it says, Yeshua replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will taste of my banquet. So that's a little bit different, a little bit different tone. It certainly has the, the banquet idea and the invited guests who were too busy to attend, but uh, the ending is a little bit different. We'll talk about that. But let's analyze this for a little bit. So the context, the same context we had last time, right? Uh, because it was just... It's just the next paragraph. Yeshua was teaching at a temple and he was responding to questions from Pharisees and religious leaders. And the key players in this one, the king is, I think, pretty clearly God. The banquet, uh, we're going to look primarily at Matthew's version. The banquet is a celebration of the son's, uh, king's son's wedding. Or if nothing else, it was just a, a big banquet that the king was having. Okay, um, Who the first invited guests... The first invited guests, I figured I put, they were the king's friends with friends in quotes because they had a guest list. You know, they, they had been invited, so they must have had some sort of a, the king must have known kind of who they were, and they must have done something to, you know, the king somehow. And so the king says, well, I'll invite all my friends. Well, what he finds out, of course, is that his friends really weren't that much of a friend because uh, they basically you know, all found excuses not to come. So the servants that were sent with the invitations, the prophets again, right? They get stoned, they get beaten, they get mistreated. So the king's mad. And that's in both parables, the king's mad, right? And so he sends his uh, servants out and he says to a second set of invited guests. And the second set of invited guests is basically everybody else. You know, people I didn't know people that, uh, that don't have a formal relationship with me. Uh, but those people that I thought were my friends were all too busy, so invite everybody else. Um, 
So who was this underdressed guy? Okay, Joe. God gets the call. Come unto me, all there are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Okay, the ones that they went out, this one, one as we're getting married, this one here, to me it represents people who are important, who are PhDs or whatever, school teachers, you know, so on and so forth. And then God chooses the line, the blame, the dumb, the blind, and the ones that need healing. They're the ones that come to Christ, not the other uh, group of people sometimes. Okay. Okay. Uh, for me, the second guess is all the people are not Jewish because when they, Jesus, uh, oh, Yeshua, sorry, coming, they know the, the commandments, they know the rules, they know everything, but they don't want to listen. And when he start preaching, he go out the cities. Only the poor and ignorant people listen to him and believe it. They know by revelation. Mm -hmm. They know because the signs, all the prophets say, he is the, mm -hmm. the, the Messiah yep. they waiting. Yep. But because they don't have a lot of knowledge uh, to, to block in themselves, to know who is the Messiah's coming, yep. to discover them. And there are the and and underdressed guests, you mm -hmm. know, because when people in his town don't listen, his son choose people, mm -hmm. he go outside and like uh, you would say the goings. Yeah, yeah. That we are the goings, that we believe it without seeking, yeah. without that's, that's touching, fine. you know? Yep, I agree with you. Yeah. Um, so the, to kind of, what you said was, is the first invited guests were, if you will, the, the religious leaders and experts of the time. They were the, the ones that were supposed to be uh, protecting God's word and uh, helping the people. Uh, but yet they, they, didn't, they weren't interested in actually doing what he said or listening to him when he asked them to come, right? So the second group is this group of people that doesn't necessarily have all that relationship with him, but they believe, they believe him. Right? Who's this guy that was underdressed? What, what my guess was is it's one who didn't care enough to enough about the host or the event to dress properly, but that was willing to uh, <laughs> willing to go anyway. You know, he was he was interested in the free party. Jan, is uh, this also this parable? Uh, Relating to the feast that we go to, the king's feast, uh, when we're all collected together in, in eternity, um, the king, of course, is still Elohim. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I did think... We, did I, we go into that? No, no, I think you're probably right. Is I that think, okay that I kind sure, of go into sure, a little Sure, sure, that's fine. The banquet is the eternal yep. banquet. Yep, yep. All the people that are invited or brought into the presence of God at the yep. end of time, mm -hmm. uh, the first invited guests are the king's friends. And I, I look at that 
as um, perhaps the prophets, uh, even um, people that we may know who mm -hmm. deserve to be in that position. They're, yeah. they're just, they've done extraordinary work for mm -hmm. Yahuwah. And then the servants sent with invitations, as it says, are the prophets. Yeah. Uh, and then we, who are the body of Messiah, are in the presence of Elohim at this banquet, and we're everyone else. And we're everyone else, yeah. We're the ones that heard the call and decided to take, to listen to it, whereas the first ones, well, the first ones, quite frankly, were those people that, uh, like I say, were responsible for this, but Yeshua didn't fit all the things that they were expecting. He was supposed to fit a certain mold, and he didn't quite fit the mold. Yes. I'm impressed with the fact that over and over again, our fair Yahuwah lets people know ahead of time. He does, even though parables have a surprise ending, he doesn't go through life always throwing us a curve unexpectedly. There's always been warning ahead of time yep. through the Torah, through the prophets, through other people's examples, and on it. And yeah, and I think the reason for that is because he wants us to learn. He wants us to figure this out. This was one that um, Mark talked about a couple of weeks ago. Yep. Um, and when you start thinking about when the Bible talks about being dressed appropriately, since those who are called, if they accept the invitation, then they're set apart, they're called, they respond to it favorably. Um, That's because... The speaker is speaking okay. into your microphone. Okay. And then I look at the underdressed guest as one who's trying to, like you said, take advantage of or get in without being set apart, without having, if you want to say, clothed in righteousness or mm -hmm. wearing the proper wedding attire to get into the feast. Mm -hmm. So the question is, how did you get in here? Mm -hmm. And it reminds me, there's scripture in Revelation that talks about being dressed properly. But it reminds me of when Yeshua said that um, many will say to me, let's see, I think it's Matthew 7, 21, yep. in that day, didn't we do all these things in your name? And he says, I never knew you. Yep. So whether this is referring to that same day of being not recognized and being cast out because that it says that that's where his weeping and gnashing of teeth will be, yep. then it's certainly a possibility. Know, possibility. Yeah. yeah. You missed? No. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Um, going back just a little bit to the previous parable, I like what you brought up last week, um, almost depicting humanism, where the those didn't those that were working in the field not only wanted to kill the servant and take the fruit for themselves, but declare this is mine anyway. Yeah. That I'll make the rules here. This will be my fruit. Yeah. We don't and need I will God. Be the, yeah, yeah. I will be the complete owner of this. It's interesting that the fruit I was looking at in your analysis, the fruit is preserved through the remnant that preserve the fruit. The fruit that belongs to the Almighty is always preserved through the remnant who preserve the fruit. Yeah. And I was looking at this too, the underdressed and those that I see are low a me that weren't a people 
can only be dressed properly when they come through the proper channel to get back to the one who's inviting them. Yep. And he is the one that made a way. You cannot, it seems like it falls in line with what we talked about, those that were trying to come in through circumcision. Yep. There's only one way to come to the wedding through the, through the proper channel of those who were low of me that can now come into the wedding properly. Mm -hmm. Yep, I agree. I could be totally way off here, but when it says underdressed guests were the ones who didn't care enough about the host or even the event to dress appropriately, I know that I myself have been invited to things, just, you know, different things, and I was too poor to buy something nice, mm -hmm. or I simply was too rushed, and I just got whatever I had on and went. So, like, in my heart, I wanted to be there, mm -hmm. and I didn't, I felt real bad about what I was wearing, mm -hmm. but um, then it makes me think also about when Jesus was crucified, he had nothing. He was even stripped of his garments. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, but to me, I think like Yeshua isn't judging us by how well-dressed we are. No, no, like, no. I, but yeah. this is a different yeah. meaning. I think, I think that's, uh, I was going to point that. I think, okay. you know, this is just my opinion. Right. But I don't think it has anything to do with real clothing. Okay. I think what it's basically getting, he looks at him. The, the king comes by and he looks at him and the way the parable reads is he's not dressed appropriately. Okay. But what he really sees is you don't, you're, you don't have a heart after me. Right. You're not here to honor me. You're not here to obey me. You're just here for the free food. Gotcha. You know, you're, you're just here to have a good time because you heard there was a party. Yeah. I mean, that's, I'm making this up, but All I right. think that's it because I don't think it has to do with clothing either. Well, that makes mm. sense how you put it because I was... Yeah confused about all well, that. Well, I think I that's an like, important point about right. God because he wants, he wants us, I think it's called you know, a wholehearted or a pure right. heart. He wants us to love him and want a relationship with him out of a sincere heart, not just because of what he can do for us, not just because he's the king. Or, right. you know, he, wants, he wants us to really care about him. And it's also to thank him for stuff instead of keep asking all the yep. time. Like a lot of people... Yep get stuck on ask, yeah, ask, yeah. ask, when yeah. if they would do what they're asking for to other people, they would be yeah, yeah. blessed in return. I agree. Thank you, dear. Mm -hmm. Also, I was reading that one who didn't care enough about the host, that's a picture of disrespect. Yes, it is. And uh, R2, the event, to dress appropriately. But one who doesn't care enough about the host doesn't really care about the Torah. That's right. That's and, the whole point. Uh, are, are the events to address the Torah? Let the, the Torah speak to them. Yep, you're exactly right. Or at least that's my opinion. I agree with you. Yeah, that could also be a maybe a relative or one of those who originally was invited and turned them down flat. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've only got two slides. I kind of want to get to them. Let me just do these other two slides, and then I'll quit. I wanted to continue with the analysis, um, the contrasts and the surprises. Um, the first invited guest that couldn't be bothered to go to the king's banquet, that's kind of a... Uh, it, it, and, and the fact that the servants were mistreated. Um, and then 
The other surprise is this thing about the, the guy that was inappropriately dressed. Seems like just something that's added on at the end. It wasn't even in the version that was told to, by Luke. Um, but the main point is the king's feast, and Jan, I think you're right, it's essentially the marriage supper of the son, is only for those who value it and are willing to dress, in quotes, appropriately in robes of righteousness by doing the Torah. And I think the way that that's verified is because of the last line. Many are invited, but few are chosen. And Mark talked about this at length here a couple weeks ago. But many are invited is clear. You know, send your servants out and just tell everybody to come. Tell them to come. But the chosen must recognize God's lordship in their lives and seek to serve him by obeying his commands. Those are the ones that are dressed appropriately. Those are the ones that say, I, I realize the significance of what's going on here, and I'm not into this just for all the good stuff. So that's what I wanted to end on. Now, did you have something you want to add? Well, that's okay. Um, I just, the, the part about not being dressed uh, for the event, appropriately for the event, it kind of reminds me of the, maybe the ones that they want to take advantage of the benefits of the covenant, but without actually doing what's required of that covenant. Here, here. And it kind of reminds me, I was, um, I was remembering a Bible study a while back, and it was in the Torah, it was about the part where, where uh, I think it was Abraham, that they were closing up the wells. It's like they were telling him, get out of here, get out of here. But then once they, saw, once they saw that he left, the blessings went with him. Yeah. And then once they saw that, they're, they're like, oh, wait, we want you to come back now. Yeah, it's yeah. like Because they wanted to take advantage of the blessings of the covenant without actually doing the requirements. That yeah, are, I, that I, think are that's, I, I agree with you. I think that's pretty much exactly what's going on. Okay, we're going to quit because I'm way over and it makes things last too long. So I hope... I hope you're all right with that. Let me, we can talk some more after we quit. Let me, let me pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the things that you can teach us with it. I just really appreciate the fact that you care enough about us to really get down deep and help us to understand the matters of the heart. Help us to understand the way we're supposed to relate to you, the way you would like us to relate to you. I ask that you just uh, help us to think on these things as we go through the coming week and, uh, and help us uh, to really appreciate how much you care about us. Nah. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, thanks very much. Thank and you, Jerry. We'll, we'll start the main service in about 30 minutes. Thank you, Jerry.